And we're live from the U.S. National in Rochester, New York. I'm Andrew Rapson. And I'm Jonas Dupuy. Your host of the Bonsai Wire podcast. Glad to be here, everyone. Thanks for joining us. We are walking around the show right now as we speak. I'm carrying two microphones and pretending like we're audio people, which is really, really fun. Uh, but it's, it's, it's a really, really fun to be here. Um, we're in the show. We're wearing masks, so we're, we're sorry if... Apologies in advance for the audio quality. We're doing what we can. Yeah, but, but we're at the show, and this is fun. Uh, we're going to talk about some trees that we see, and we'll go from there. Sounds great. I'm standing in front of one of the trees that I really like in this show. It's a Zelkova um, by Steve... Steve Omen. Steve Omen. Absolutely beautiful tree. Yeah, it's a very, very nice um, representation of what Zelkova bonsai traditionally look like. Um, and we'll have a photo of this on the uh, Bonsai Tonight blog. We'll be able to provide a link to that along with the show notes for this episode. If you want to take a peek. Yeah. Andrew, what is it that makes this tree stand out to you? I really like this Zelkova because, well, for one, Zelkova is one of the few bonsai that have... Uh, uh, quite a bit of realism in, in the plants. Um, a lot of bonsai, especially deciduous bonsai, are more idealized. Um, they're exaggerated forms in nature. And Zelkova, they tend to look how we see them when they grow in the wild. And, and this tree is a really, really nice example. It's the classic Zelkova broom style. Um, this tree has something that I think a lot of us um, could uh, or, or here as a fault, which is it has a big reverse taper halfway up the trunk where all the branches split and it's beautiful. That's okay. That's, that's what we like on a, this type of broom style uh, is, is having um, that, that um, separation of all these different trunk lines, which is incredibly naturalistic and, and, and realism uh, represented in bonsai. And so for those of you who aren't looking at an image of the tree, we'll try our best to describe it. The tree is probably... 29, 30 inches tall and a little bit wider than that, maybe 34 inches wide. It has a very full canopy and the leaves are remarkably small. As many of you who grow Zelkova know, when the trees are happy and healthy, they can put on giant three, four inch leaves. When they are in well-refined bonsai, they can be about one and a quarter inches long at the longest, as in this one. And the average leaf size is closer to three quarter of an inch to an inch. The trunk at the base is a good three and a half inches across, but the nabari or surface roots are fantastic and protrude in many directions. It is in a kind of a cream color pot, likely a rejo oval pot with kind of cut sides on it. And the moss work for those interested is fantastic on the tree. It's really beautiful. But what shows the age is the bark on it. We're used to a lot of really smooth barked elms and this has pretty darn craggy bark for Zalcova, which means it's old yeah and and bark quality can be genetic but in this case i think it's more so just a signifier of age and this tree has been a bonsai for a while and it certainly shows and um, so we're getting closer to the tree now and looking up into the canopy and we can see the single trunk divides into let's say 12 different kind of branches all at the top which makes it a very classic broom style but one of those trunks goes straight up, kind of extending it. And so it's kind of a hybrid broom style where all the branches split off at one spot, but one of them continues on to form a more traditional apex. And that reverse taper Andrew was talking about is not uncommon at all when so many branches come from the same place. 
Now there's other ways to make a broom style. Um, this is the, the way like Jonas just described where we have all the, the separation of the trunk line happening at one location. There's also a, a type where you have a relatively a, a, a trunk line that continues all the way up to the canopy to the, the, the to apical region uh, and then you have branches that alternate off of that main line um, the most rare way is when you just have these um, bifurcations that you know it splits into two that splits into four that splits into eight and and exponentially it just creates this really magnificent piece of they are stunning i've seen almost none of those even in japan and having tried to make one they are so hard to create <laughs> if you very, go for that bifurcate bifurcate single trunk tough. not bad standard broom doable but uh, those constant bifurcations really hard yeah but this is certainly it's, it's one of the best salkova i've seen in the united states oh, i think it's, sure. the show hasn't been um well the show's been judged but the judge uh, the winners have not been announced i think this is a contender for best deciduous it's it's a really really strong candidate oh for sure it's on the short list so. really pretty tree great let's walk around and find another tree all right we're now walking around to one of the trees right by the entrance, which is giant. And that's one thing that stands out. One fun thing about the way they arrange the show is truly mammoth trees were passing by a five foot tall one seed juniper right now next to an azalea that has a bigger trunk than I do. <laughs> and we're right around the corner from a very, very old limber pine shown by Randy Knight. Yeah, that's a really, really fascinating limber pine. Uh, I've quite not seen one like it. It's it's unique. It's, it's a special tree. It's very unique. Um, it's just something in Yamadori, I think, uh, makes for a quality bonsai. Is when it has uniqueness. When you know you have this limber pine that looks like no other limber pine. It has its own character, its own vibe, its own story. You could almost name it something because it's so um, evocative, evocative, and, and and different than what other examples you see. It makes for a really special tree. So Andrew, describe us, describe what the tree looks like for the people who aren't looking at a photo of it. Gosh, this one is this crazy. It has <laughs> this, it's, it's basically a big C, a big reverse C. And I say that not as a negative comment, but as something no. that's really, really impressive. It's this, this C has this amazing deadwood. We see a twist right at the base um, and these beautiful sharis that happen at the arc of that reverse C. So the trunk comes out almost toward the viewer. It's kind of out about 45 degrees to the front and to the right. And then it goes kind of straight up, curves back around to the back, and then the foliage comes forward, making it unmistakably look like a giant ancient bonsai. But one neat thing about the tree, oh, one other thing to point out is it's in a large non-bond unglazed container on a fantastic a hexagonal stand. But a lot of people might be stumped by the accent, which is the head of an axe on a slab, which makes you look a little closer at the trunk, which at eye level, if you're six feet tall, is a huge chunk missing out of the shari that looks like someone took an axe to it, considering <laughs> that the tree might have been a good source of firewood. No, too much effort, so they stopped hacking at it and then went on their way. It's a super, super fascinating specimen, and the story involved makes it a really, really special submission. Now, in terms of some technical stuff, is some people will notice that there are some wires on the branches, but the tree was wired a long time ago, and the needles are actually fantastically small. This is an amazingly compact uh, limber pine that has really well-spaced out uh, needles on it, but 
Oh, and actually, I'm looking now that I look around the side, huge chop marks up on the uh, top of the trunk. Someone actually went to quite a lot of effort to not quite cut it all the way down a long time ago. Yeah, it's, it's a really, really fascinating storyline that we see both in the shape of the tree, but also in the indentation of the deadwood. So two comments to make that I'll be curious to get Andrew's opinion on. There is a decent sized accent plant in the container along with the tree and there is an enormous mound of moss. And by enormous meaning, it's about 14 inches long, eight inches front to back, and about four inches high. Altogether, the soil rises about eight inches above the lip of the pot. What do you think of having a big mound of moss and an accent in the pot? And by the accent, by the way, it's a type of sword fern. Yeah, it's, it's really unusual. You know, this is a really big tree and a really small pot. And so where is all the roots? The, where is all the mass keeping this thing alive? Well, it's, it's underneath that moss. It's in that mound that we see here. Um, usually, bunjin are trees that snake a little bit more. Um, these, these more kind of elegant trees with, with lines, we put them into these shallow pots. And it's, it's actually quite nice when we, when we can have a mound like that. This mound is, is, you can clearly tell that big mound right behind um, where the deadwood happens is, is probably a large root mass that, that that's you know keeping this thing alive and healthy. Yeah, it's not an even round shape, which makes you think it's very precisely covering up something yeah. underneath right there. I, I kind of like the fern in the pot. You know, this tree has a, an immensely wild feeling, and that fern, I think, it, it just kind of enhances that just a little bit more. It um, evokes a scene. It evokes a scene, and I think if this was a cultivated tree, having that fern might not be as successful as it is here. Now, of all the trees in the show, this would be one answer to the question I often get why I don't always love carving deadwood on conifers because <laughs> unless your technique is absolutely fantastic and I don't know if that technique exists the deadwood is so amazingly crenulated textured colored and fissured it has an amazing natural beauty to it that you do everything in your power to preserve when you come across a specimen like this. And it's even more special because that deadwood is is not just kind of hanging centered in the pot, it's coming towards you. And in person, yes. it really feels like it's reaching out and grabbing you. And yet the silhouette on the foliage is not non-traditional. It looks like there's a bonsai off to the side of the trunk. Really, really interesting tree, fun it submission. Is. The other thing that comes to mind is I often do a test with trees where if I draw a line across the tree. If all of the foliage is on one side and all of the deadwood features are on the other side, it often lacks that integrated design. And I notice that in this tree, but there's a large gin to the back. I think the fern on the right brings your attention back to the base and it helps integrate it, especially as we can see where the trunk kind of dives into the foliar mass for this one. Green is always something that draws our eye to a focus point. And when we have that green uh, fern to coming out of the base on the right, we have this, this foliar mass that is off to the left, but then kind of comes back to the, the pot center. It really does feel integrated um, where yet, it could yeah. not easily not. That's right. And on that same note, we say coming out at the base of the tree, it's coming out of the base of the tree behind the trunk. So we actually just see the fronds peeking out from behind the trunk coming out of and starting to fill in a quite large negative space in the uh, middle of the composition. So really fantastic piece. Uh, yeah. This might also be a contender for uh, best. best in show or best conifer. Either I think one of so. Those, I think yeah. that is really nice tree. Yeah, let's keep walking and find another specimen. 
So the venue for the U.S. National Show is an indoor soccer field, which is built for winter use because apparently it gets cold in Rochester. I think from so. From what I hear, <laughs> but it's not really used in summer. And so with the exception of the hallway we're walking along right now, all of the aisles are artificial turf, which... I really appreciate, because standing in the vendor area all day long, I appreciate the comfortable green of the soft floors. It's, so. it's a little visually jarring, but it, for comfortability, <laughs> it, it's, it's really, really nice. Uh, let's let's walk over to this, this Hawthorne that I, uh, Ooh, I really, really like and I'm quite excited about. This is a tree from Portland, Oregon. It's, it's from Dennis Voitilla. Um, who's a real, real good friend and deciduous grower uh, who lives close by. And this is a real, real beautiful specimen hawthorn. Again, I think it's another contender for best deciduous bonsai or, or best in show. Definitely. Um, it's, it's a tree that has a very, very natural feeling to it. Um, this looks like a tree growing in the middle of a field that's totally uninterrupted by obstacles or other plants and can just grow freely. Of all the trees in this show... I actually feel a little emotional looking at this tree. There's something about it that evokes age and delicateness. And so the reason for that is one of the most, when you, when you see a lot of bonsai, you get really sensitive to kind of the ratio between the size of the silhouette or the crown and the size of the trunk. And usually we want to heighten the trunk to canopy ratio and make our trees look big and powerful or super slender and delicate. And this one, this, the canopy is a little bit bigger than I would normally expect for bonsai, which makes it look more tree than bonsai in a lot of ways. And the delicateness of the branching, which is not following strict bonsai patterns. They're not going up. They're not going down. They meander much like I'd expect a large deciduous tree. And the effect is just, it's, it's fantastic. It's a really, really, really special piece. You know, I, I think talking what you mentioned proportionally, I think with deciduous trees, we tend to see a much broader, wider silhouette branches that reach farther away from the trunk than we do with a conifer of yep. equal trunk size. That's right. And so this tree, because it has that, it, it feels like a tree that we've all seen before in our minds. Yeah, it, this is one of those trees that people see themselves laying under and it's on just a thick, solid bed of green moss. And the container choice is neat too. It's an oval that has a, it's kind of the bag shape, but it has a fairly steep sides on it. And I don't know if between us we can pretend to guess what mix of colors it is, but it's kind of blues and browns, very subdued, very large feet, maybe eight inches across. And it's really wonderfully kind of grounding. Um, interestingly, the steeply tapered sides kind of lifts it up away from the ground and knowing that the moss folds up kind of an inch over it, it kind of makes a clamshell look when you see the top of the moss going into the bottom of the pot, which I normally wouldn't expect. And so because I'm so caught up in the tree, I don't notice that as much, but that's probably the way that uh, the tree's able to have enough roots in the container yeah. to keep it happy with that. I know when you have a ton of fine branching on a big tree, those things need a lot of attention in summer. Yeah, yeah, definitely. You know, speaking of this pot, uh, it's it's a pot by Naoto Kotake, who happens to be standing right next to me. Uh, and now, why don't you tell us a little bit about this pot? And, and, and uh, did Dennis commission this pot specifically for this tree? Um, or, or, or tell us a little bit of the background on it. Yeah, Dennis, uh, I, I like to work with Dennis. He's an excellent uh, artist uh, to partner with. And yeah, he was looking for a new pot. Um, the old one, as I understand, um, was a little too narrow. Uh, with respect to the trunk 
he wanted a pot with a little bit more depth um, to mm. kind of hit that that perfect ratio of trunk to, to pot depth. And so uh, he gave me a list of parameters, um, gave me a lot of artistic freedom. Uh, what I had in mind was showing the tree in fall when it has like yellow and red leaves. And so I went with a sort of greenish, bluish pa uh, palette to contrast with that, uh, those yellow colors. <coughs> now today it's uh, still in a deep green, almost light yellow leaf. Um, but that actually picks up a lot of the greens in the pot. So it, and, and with the moss, it's really pushed into a, a cool kind of greenish feeling, which is very summery, which is nice for this time of year. And tell us about the brighter color that's just off center. We see that in a lot of your containers. Yeah. Um, so I, I fire with a, a gas kiln, and that gives me the freedom to play with a lot of flame effects. And so at, at this time, I had a very small kiln, and Dennis wanted a 26, 27-inch pot. <laughs> so I was jamming this pot into this tiny kiln. And as you might expect, the flames are just running up the side of the pot. And so what we see on the front is a, a kind of fluxing of the glaze because the flame hit it. Um, wow. and, and that's changed the colors. So you have these little uh, patches of, of really bright blue and purple. Um, whereas the rest of the pot is kind of a matte very feeling. subdued, yeah. which gives it that nice grounded feeling. And as you look really closely at the pot, it has a character we were just talking, Andrew and I were speaking with now last night. It has that amazing hand-built feel to it where the lines have the slightest give to them, but overall they're true. And it gives it that just gorgeous handmade feel to it that makes it a pretty outstanding container. I, I like the texture of that kind of patch. It almost mirrors the, the, the kind of cragginess of the trunk, actually. It does, and because it's off-centered, it just continues with the asymmetry, the composition. The trunk is not centered in the pot. It's off to the mm -hmm. right, and same as the colorful spots, it's in the front. And I didn't intend for the, the lip, the sharp lip, to pick up the kind of sharpness of the leaves, but it, it, that was kind of a lucky outcome. And that's a common thing that... One of the most fun activities for me is when you can try a lot of different containers for a given tree. And you'll find that depending on the year you're going to show the tree, you might be highlighting the twigs or the trunk. The trunk, by the way, there's bark all the way up to, you know, six inches short of the apex. There are dark, black, craggy uh, flakes of bark on it. But whether it's the dark bark, the green leaves, <laughs> the moss, you know, whatever time of the year, you're going to highlight different things with the containers. And by, you know, picking up the just slight bit of lightness on it, you notice the twigginess a little more, which is perfect for this time of year. Mm -hmm. We're just kind of staring at the tree right now. <laughs> yeah. Well, thanks so much, Now. If you want to find out more about Now's work, uh, his name is Now Tokutake, and uh, we'll, we'll provide a link uh, to, to check out his Instagram and his website. Now's making really, really great, beautiful pots. And something really unique about his containers is he's, he's doing slip molds. Um, um, and so he's creating a really, really high quality pot that has a very, very nice consistency. Um, we're going to podcast now probably in the next few weeks. So, so stay tuned for that episode coming up soon. But uh, in the meantime, Jonas and I are going to keep walking around the show and find yeah. another plant to look at. One overall thing we noticed about the exhibit this year is that the ratio of conifers to non-conifers is steep. It's very, um, very steep. We're looking down an aisle right now with maybe three or four deciduous trees and the other Fifth. dozen trees are conifers. Yeah. And one of these is, or two on this table, you know, we have as uh, tropicals. So some tropical representation. 
right now we're we're just standing in front of a Itoigawa juniper. This is a tree by Suthin. Uh, Suthin, I think, is is one of the most underrated. <laughs> bonsai professionals in the United States. He, he comes here, he has beautiful trees year after year after year. He's possibly won the most awards out of anybody. Probably. Um, in, in this exhibition. Yeah. Um, but he, we, we're standing in front of a really beautiful Itoigawa juniper. It's a large tree, it has a lot of presence, uh, and it also has a lot of maturity and, and, and age feeling. This, this looks like a tree that's been a bonsai for quite a long time. This is a tree I'd expect to see in an exhibit in Japan. I would not expect it to be any different whatsoever were I in Japan. The pot would be the same shape and style, but maybe a different color clay is the only thing. I wouldn't expect to see that color clay in Japan. But otherwise, it's a very conservative design of a really interesting tree. So describe, actually now, could you describe for us what the trunk is doing? He's nodding vigorously now. <laughs> I, I think what's interesting is the prominent uh, deadwood, that the bottom trunk appears to be only a quarter live vein. Um, and it's kind of moving away from us, but then it comes back to us, but unseen. So I actually had to sneak my head in between the kind of armpit of the tree to see what, what it's doing. This, this is a tree, I think, that invites you to get up mm -hmm. and look around and explore. You know, from the front of it, it almost looks like that live vein is straight and almost just continues on a slight diagonal to the left. But when you look, there's a big, massive twist that this tree has. It, it's, it's kind of hidden from the front, but it really invites you to get up and, and explore and take a look. And I think that makes a good bonsai. And that's something that Andrew and I are both fans of doing. It's like in a museum. You don't stand six feet away, nod, and then move on to the next painting. You get up close, you get far away and look at the balance. You look up underneath and you see, where are those branches coming from? How does the trunk get down there? And there's, there's a full loop-de-loop -loop almost inside the middle of the trunk, but you're not gonna notice that unless you kind of get underneath it and peek. You know, something that I think really sets this juniper apart from other junipers in the show is, is like we said at the very beginning, it has this sense of maturity. It doesn't look like it was wired yesterday. It looks like it was wired 10, 20, 30, 40 years ago. It has that age and maturity in, in, the, in the primary branch, in the secondary branch, in the tertiary branch. And it, it and honestly, probably looking at it, does not have a lot of wire on it. Um, yeah, this tree's been in training a long time. There's, I'm looking at it, there is almost no wire on this tree, which is pretty remarkable given the detail that's, that's in the pads. And the reason that that keeps striking Andrew so strongly is, if you could characterize coniferous bonsai in America, is it's early in training. We tend yeah. to see a lot of wire on trees. We tend to see a lot of really thin trees. And even when the trees are absolutely fantastic in the trunk, the branches typically do not convey the same level of age. And when I see a full tree and a full silhouette, I think this has been a bonsai for a long time. This is a tree that has had a relationship with the person or people who have cared for it. Freshly wired trees look like freshly dug trees and they're fantastic, but the character that I really appreciate is when you can tell something's been in training for a long time because the age of the branches when they reflect the age of the trunk just gives the whole thing such a neat overall quality. But I know that Andrew's dying to tell us, and I'm putting him on the spot here, what styling adjustments would you make next year if you were going to, you know, take this home and work on it? 
it's it's if tough. you just happen to find one of these amazing specimens in your backyard yeah it's, it's tough i would love to have this tree obviously. <laughs> um you know i'm struggling i'm I, the whole time jonas was just talking i've been looking at this tree i've been underneath it i do not find a single wire on this plant and so maybe some of the adjustments that i would make would be small tweaks in in the pads here and there um, but really, I think it's so special and remarkable that this is a tree. It's a conifer. It has this much level of detail, this this feeling of maturity, and and I can't find a, a single damn wire on the whole thing. It's kind of amazing. What would, would you do, Jonas? Well, the first question I always ask, and this is a really subtle point that I know I don't talk about it enough, is we all talk about negative space, and there's a lot of ways we can get that. It's often blank gaps between branches. But in bonsai, there's often a more relevant characteristic, which are the breaks in the branch pads. And so in this tree, we have a number of examples where there may be a solid block of foliage, but there are kind of lines cut through it where we can see individual branch pads. And what that does is kind of suggest the structure of the tree. So on the lower right side, we have a completely independent branch and we can see through to the backdrop behind. There's another discrete branch above it with a deep cut in the silhouette. And then from there up, it's just apex. But on the left side, the second branch up is kind of one block of foliage with a couple stripes cut in it, which show or give you a suggestion as to what the structure of the branch is in the inside. It's different on the left and the right, which we want because we don't want a symmetrical composition. And so what I would want to do is study the tree and find are there opportunities to give some breaks in the silhouette on that side so that we're trying to really get the best of both worlds where we're reserving the fullness of a healthy tree long time in training and um, bring out the dynamism of the trunk uh, because you have to look so closely to see the most spectacular part of the tree which isn't the first 10 inches of the trunk it's the next 10 inches and I don't have an answer off the top, but if there is a way to show that off a little more or make it easier or more accessible, I would want to try to highlight that middle section of the trunk where it's doing um, some more acrobatics. Yeah, this, this tree, it's, it's, it's really, really fun to look at. There's a lot going on. It's clearly a contender for, for best in show, best, best conifer. It's, it's a really, really outstanding specimen. Fun to see at the U.S. National. You know, tell Jonas, us, I was gonna say, tell us about the display. The display is actually really fun as well. You know, in the U.S. National show, typically from my experience, we do not have strong accent plant um, uh, companions uh, with, with a lot of these trees. A lot of the accents look like they were maybe composed uh, very recently, you know, a week before the show, a month before a the show. A single plant with moss around the sides. Right. We're in this accent plant that we have with this beautiful juniper. feels like it's it's been growing. It has this mochikomi. It's, it's been a, <laughs> it feels like it's been a composition for years and years and years. And, and that's really special. It has some age and maturity that matches and reflects what we see in the tree. I think the scroll is really fantastic with this, this piece because with a scroll, we want the scroll to tell only one part of the story. Um, we have this beautiful tree. We have this, this, this uh, rising or setting sun, which is so gorgeous. And then we have a nice, beautiful um, accent. Each, each component is telling us a different part of the story that Suthan's trying to convey uh, rather than one component component trying to show us multiple things and in terms of the accent itself we have it's planted on a flat stone and sitting on a kind of a bamboo mat and it is a huge mix of species that are all mixed up and so some that i recognize there's the crenulated uh, perosia a, a type of fern 
we have uh, some selaginella peeking out and then some brand new pink polygala flowers peeking through. And then there's um, what looks like uh, one of the spiral orchids, the mini orchids coming up through the middle, as well as another leaf that I don't recognize. There's, there's a lot going on here, and much like the tree, it invites you to get up, take a look, and, and look a little closer to what's going on. Really, really beautiful display. Um, and, and the other nice thing about the accent is, proportionally, it's a good size comparison with the, the type of really strong tree with a lot of presence that we have. Yeah, the accent is huge, and so I won't go to the top of the flower, but it's probably eight, nine, well, actually, I guess if you subtract the mat, it's maybe... Again, eight, nine inches tall and probably 14 inches wide. It's yeah. not a small accent. It's a, not a small accent for not a small tree. All right. You know, there's another tree just right behind this that I really <laughs> want to chat about. And Jonas is laughing because it's his tree. Um, it's a really, really beautiful Yalpan holly. For those of you who have been following Bonsai tonight, Jonas's wonderful blog, it's a tree that we're all familiar with um, because it's, it has such a rich history on the blog. Jonas, tell us a little bit about your tree. Well, I can say that one of the very first times I worked on it, your teacher, Michael, cut almost every single branch off the tree. And it was pretty much a trunk back then. That was 12 years ago right now. And I I remember seeing the tree in Boone's garden for quite a while. I, I asked him one day, this is a fantastic tree. Why has no one bought it? And he said, I have no idea. And so I bought it that day. And it took us a few years to figure out how to train the branches. but. I have since really fallen for the species and I recommend it as one of the best starting points for bonsai. I, you know, we just brought it up in one of the last times we were talking, but yeah, yeah. they're really, really fun to work with. You know, this is a, a tree, I think there's a story of taper here. We have a really, really beautiful, strongly tapered trunk, but it's the thing that makes this tree good is not just that taper in the trunk. Um, but that how that translates into the branching. Uh, the, the primary branching has quite a bit of thickness and slowly we taper off into the secondary branching and the tertiary branching and eventually down to the fine twigs. And that's just time in training. Right, that signifies this tree has been a bonsai for quite a while and that's something that you might not see in a, on a younger bonsai which has a silhouette but does not have that age represented in the branching. And in terms of the silhouette, that's I, I'm a strong believer that the trunk to large degree determines the silhouette and it's how we toy with a basic proportionality that really gives the trees life or not and i also wanted to if i could actually i'd be curious to hear yours i want to make some scathing critiques of the tree i'll be curious i'll give you first <laughs> shot if you want you know in contrast to the last tree we just looked at this tree does have quite a bit of wire on it um, so, <laughs> so i mean almost every single branch but yes. it is really really beautifully done um, and it's not wire that you really, really see when you're uh, not looking up close. And I like that. There's no guy wires. There's no really obvious wires that you can see. It's, it's something you only realize close up. I cut the guy wires the day I packed up for the show. And <laughs> I cut all the wires you could see from the front. I left the back half of the wire on, but I cut the ones that were in the visible section away. But you're right. Every single branch is wired. So that's one significant demerit. There's a couple other obvious ones. What do you think, Jonas? Now, well, I want to hear, now, we'll, we'll let him think about it, but you can probably find something. Well, I've been staring at the, the, the pot in the stand. Uh, I'd love to know your thoughts on, on its selection before we, maybe we come back to the tree, but, yeah. um, well, just from my stand, my, my viewpoint, it's a very v vertical, very almost modern, sharp angled pot. It's white. Um, I, looking closer at the feet, there's some stamped detail to it, but from far away, you would think it's almost a mass-produced pot. Um, it is. It's a Yamaki production. Uh huh. Right. 
And uh, the stand is also has some very strong vertical elements. But the tree itself is very kind of rounded and sinuous and old with that sumo trunky character. So, so you've got the severe pot and the severe stand. What would be a nicer fit for the trunk? And well, I, I would expect something rounded, maybe a rounded lip, a softer um, texture. I, and I, I wonder about the, the color choice. It's this oh. kind of a creamy white. Um, in a very dark walnut-looking stand. Um, I, I don't remember if, vom uh, if uh, the Ilex vomitoria doesn't make little berries. The females do. This is a male. Typically, the males will give you big trunk and no color. The female will give you more slender trunks and wonderful berries. I see. So with the berries, it might make sense. You know, you don't want a flashy container uh, with the berries, but... What would you make for that? Do you, <laughs> is that within your wheelhouse? <laughs> we, yeah, we certainly could come up with something. <laughs> It's hard and to say. You know, the thing I like about shirokochis <laughs> is when a shirokochi pot gathers patina and this one is starting to, it almost turns a form of green. And mm. so if this pot patinas more over the years, what we might see is a, a different play of green, a different value of green than the bright lush green that we have in the foliage. And when you can change the value, you can have a similar color, but a different value that really does enhance something. It may, we might not see that today, but with, with a, uh, maybe an antique Chinese shirokochi, which is the word for cream, uh, it, it could really, really have some interesting value. This is a David Niddle stand, right? It is a David Niddle stand, you. and it's a gorgeous stand. It's one of the peg stands where you see the pegs right under the main surface. We tried, I had somehow eight or ten stands that conceivably worked. This one was the best, and by best meaning we liked the size, the proportion, and how it raised it up as high as it does off the table. We definitely wanted a softer feel, and I don't own that stand. You know, when you have a chuhin tree, you really do need a high stand, like what you said. If it's a it medium-sized tree, a to really see it, it needs to be lifted a little bit more than when you have a big tree, and it can be yeah. a stand that's a little shorter. Now the branches. Andrew, do you have any critiques on the branches? You know, I really like this tree, so it's 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 fun to see um, a yaupan holly. This is one of the few um, broadleaf evergreens that we have in this show. So I really like seeing a, a, a broadleaf evergreen that's been a bonsai for quite a while, and it, it, this does have a lot of that feeling. So Andrew might mention that the leaves are wildly inconsistent, and that's because I missed the timing for how far before the show to prune it. And that's the challenge of having a, an exhibition during the growing season. Yes. Is you do have to really, you know, it does kind of limit because the foliage, especially on a broadleaf evergreen, on a deciduous, even on some of the conifers is changing pretty drastically throughout the year. One thing we do is when you know you're going to be in a big show a year in advance, look at your trees that day a year in advance and see what they look like. And that's a way to pick what you're going to show and how you're going to prepare it. Yeah, it's a beautiful tree though. And it's really, really fun to see it in the show. Um, I'm walking past a basket of apples. A very <laughs> seasonal display. A very, very seasonal display, which is fun. This is a, a good good thing about having a, ch uh, a show in the, the growing season, perhaps, is because we get to celebrate species for bonsai that we maybe not often think of, like an apple tree. Um, this is a yellow transparent apple um, by um, a collection, Hidden Lake Gardens. With maybe um, 17 ripe apples on it, bright yeah. yellow. It's a really, really fun seasonal display, and it's, it's fun to see this type of thing at the, the U.S. National Show. And when I see healthy leaves on any deciduous tree, let alone an apple with no brown on the margins this time of year, kudos. Yeah, yeah, very, very special indeed. Next, we're uh, looking at a Colorado blue spruce. This is by Lauren Buxton. 
Um, and it's a really, really fun, old, ancient tree. Um, Jonas, have you worked with blue spruce much? No, I haven't. And I don't even know how they would do in my area. We just don't have blue spruce in the area. Yeah, yeah. It's Blue spruce is a really, really coarse spruce compared to other spruce like Engelman, especially what they use in Japan, like the Azo spruce. And so I've, I, was, I was talking with someone today. I've never seen a really, really dense one, and I'm not sure if, if that's within their capabilities. But with this tree, we have a really, really compelling, old, ancient-feeling trunk. It's a, it's a cascading plant. Our, our lowest branch drops below. The, the, the foot of the pot. Um, it's on a big, beautiful stand by Austin Heitzman. Uh, and the stand is actually kind of interesting. The way the stand has been rotated, it gives it, even though there's a big open space, it gives it more mass because we're seeing less of it because it's um, shown at a, a diagonal. Yeah, so for those of you who aren't looking at the tree, it's on a stand that, um, it's like an upside down U. The stand comes up, it's got a platform on top and comes back down, but rather than being oriented orthogonally, we're looking at the corner front edge, which happens to be a live edge cut. And if this doesn't sum up pretty much everything about American bonsai all in one composition, I'm not sure I know what does. It's on a traditional stand, it's in an appropriately shaped pot, beautiful serenader container, and it has more texture than we would see in a Japanese show. The foliage is very well arranged, not as dense as we would expect to see because the Japanese favor trees, they can get really dense. And there is a large trunk and a large gin kind of protruding below the lip towards us. And the entire backside of the tree is covered with an awesome accent plant all over the tree, something else you just don't see a lot of. So it's there's a lot to love about the tree. And every one of those things is the slight differences that we might see on this continent versus further east. Right. And that actually, all of those things make this a contender for a fun award that we have here at the U.S. National Bonsai Exhibition, the All-American Award, which I think is sponsored by ABS, where you have an American uh, a species native to North America in a pot made by an American, <laughs> on a stand by, <laughs> by an American. Um, and, and it just kind of celebrates the, the, the country that we live in. It does, and uh, one other thing to say is that the tree is just fantastically healthy. The, one of the nice things about blue spruce is the foliage is just a really pretty color. It is. And this tree yeah. is really, really healthy. And whenever you can see that contrast between just luscious, healthy foliage and fantastic deadwood, that's that's a job well done. And you know, the other thing I like about this tree is that it's a, it's a, it's a cascade, um, and, and we don't have a lot of those in, in our shows, and this might be one of the few as I, as I look around. And so as we walk down the aisle, we're going to be, uh, I don't know if you can pick it up or not, but did they just go to Thriller? I think they just put on Michael Jackson now. <laughs> you just We're getting some great uh, kind of background sound here. Yeah. And I mean, we're literally surrounded by ponderosas and junipers and ficus and hinoki. Here's a big tree. Yeah, another and conifer. Actually, big yeah. is an understatement. Big, yeah. This is a big, beautiful Japanese white pine. It's a Miyajima white pine. It's from Bonsai West in Massachusetts. And wow, this is a tree that has a really, really exaggerated flow to the right. That shooting arrow branch, some people call it, where um, kind of right above the big graft, you've got this giant, giant branch. When we say big, the branch is probably 30 inches long. The tree is, what, 38, 40-something inches tall. 
the pot is just awesome. It looks like it came out of a forge rather than a kiln. It's it, now now standing right next to us. Yeah. Now, is this a wood-fired pot? It almost has that feeling to it. Yeah, it does. Um, they might have primed the surface with some uh, chemicals to kind of get it to flush more. Um, it, it might be a light-colored body that's coated in something that catches the salt from the firing. But uh, yeah, the size, I mean, I could probably fit in it. It's like a bathtub almost. <laughs> this is a tree with a lot of presence, which is what we see a lot at the national show. At, at these big exhibitions, big exhibitions tend to yield big trees, big trees with a lot of presence. And although it might not always be right, those are the trees that tend to get a lot of awards. But this is a beautiful tree, and it could certainly be a contender for Best Conifer. Any of those big awards. And a lot of things come to mind here. Everything from the display is kind of fascinating. You're not going to put a tree this big on a typical stand. And so instead, it's on more or less a slab of lumber with live edges. Yeah, it's probably like oak, seven perhaps. feet long and about two inches thick with gentle curves to both sides. It looks like if you uh, split a tree in half lengthwise and then cut it on top and bottom, that's what we'd be looking at. Yeah, it's, it's really fascinating. And the, the, the wood has this big taper. Where the tree is, it's very, very wide and it tapers to something quite small where our accent tree is. Um, it, that, that type of exaggeration in the curve of the taper is, is kind of the over-exaggeration that we see in that branch that's yeah. on the right. And so a lot of people talk about oh, I don't have a big tree, I'm not going to bother in this, and what's the big deal with big trees? And one great case one can make for large trees is you get greater complexity on the one hand, especially when it comes to things like deadwood, but the other is people have visceral responses. When you have to physically move your head to look at the left and right sides of the tree, when you have to take several steps to get to the other side of the tree and look at it from another perspective, it often feels different. When you see the depth of the fissures in the bark, as is the case on this tree, that starts suggesting age in the way that's almost impossible to reproduce on small trees because you can't miniaturize flakes. A flake is a flake based on that species. Yeah, it's it's a really, really, really interesting tree. It's, it's you know, there's, there's different ways to go about conifer design, I think. This tree has pretty simplified pads on it. Yes. Versus pads that kind of break up into little more modular, more complex components. Um, and, and this tree, I think maybe it, that works because we have this super long exaggerated branch that it, it tends to not break that up and, and allow us to focus on this thing that's being so drastically exaggerated. And so if all bonsai tells a story, this tree tells an interesting story. We can definitely see the elements acting upon it as there's unlimited resources to the right as the branches shoot so far out to the side. And yet we have full and even density on all sides of the tree, front, back, left, and right. So for whatever reason, although the tree had good resources evenly and good light evenly, something compelled it to grow really strongly to one side, which might be something like a wind influence. Yeah, yeah, it's really interesting. This is a tree that you see uh, quite often in Japan where yeah. you have this really exaggerated branch. Is there a traditional component to that? Um, I, I've often seen these kind of at the entrance to a garden or something like Directional that. Directional trees, yeah. show is a common species because they tend right. to put on such strong lower branches, which the growers actually use to thicken the trunk, and sometimes they decide to keep them as for dramatic effect. The other thing I want to say that I, I really can't get over looking at this tree. It's a very traditional in a lot of ways silhouette on the tree something that we would expect to see in bonsai pretty much around the world but the pot is such a modern design which is there's, funny because there's a lot of counterpoint there at that there is and when you go to a lot of bonsai shows 
I, when I see the tree, I almost know ahead of time what the pot's going to look like, and it breaks that expectation. Yeah. But what's so cool is for a relatively recently made pot, it looks ancient, and that's that character that we're all guessing came from a wood kiln. Two other features of the pot are that the corners are soft. There's no lip, there's straight sides, but there's a round curve at the bottom, allowing the feet to be slightly recessed. And there's the slightest bulge at the very bottom of that, giving it a very soft feeling, as if it was almost a fabric bag that would bulge if you filled it with sand or something, just the tiniest bit. And that so breaks my expectations with white pine of all trees, where we expect to see some of the most formal containers of any of the conifers. So it's, I like that it makes me think, I like that it brings me back to the pot, and I like that it has the character just in the texture of the clay that makes it really, really fun to enjoy. Yeah, beautiful, beautiful white pine. Let's, let's walk. I, there's, a, there's a deciduous tree, believe it or not, um, if, if, we, if we care to, to walk and find one. But a really, really interesting piece. It's a uh, Catlin elm by Robert Pressler. Ah. And it, it's a tree that doesn't necessarily look like a bonsai. To me, this has a lot of Penjing feeling and influence. And maybe that's just me, but it's a beautiful um, old um, Catlin elm that has a lot of age in the trunk and the branches um, all the way out to the twigs and it's in a very and you it's in that that type of character that we see in the branches has this very oak-like kind of quality um, very natural type deciduous quality where our, our main trunk fractures into lots of sub trunks that are is it is it a trunk is it a branch it kind of floats in between um, but it's in a very unexpected container um, yeah we typically it's in a... see something like this in, in a much you know wider shallower pot and this isn't what you might think of as a cascade it'd be a, a perfect pot. pot for a wisteria with the cascade wisteria with a huge trunk right that's what right. we would expect it's a really cool pot great age heavy character and really pretty uh, greens fading to darker greens yeah, Jonas, you were talking on the last tree, the white pine, about the unexpected container. And for yeah. me, this was really, really unexpected. And, and, and kind of like what you said over there, this one really made me stop and think and question the convention and, and think about how this might be kind of a fun alternative. You know, this being a tree that has maybe a little bit more penjing influence or a little bit more free open airiness, having an unexpected container, that kind of translates into the same feeling. That's right. And people often ask, well, can I put it in a round pot? Can I put this into this pot or that pot? And I say, of course you can. However, when other people look at it, if it's outside of a conventional choice, whether you know it or not, you'll be making a statement. So the tree lives in your garden. You can do what you want, but there will be a story running through people's minds. And so if you want to connect with people who are familiar with those conventions, these are some kind of things to think about. What's funny is because the tree has that very kind of lingnan pinging style, it looks like kind of a clip and grow, low wire training, and because it's so old and irregular in the branch structure, the pot actually didn't stand out that much to me, despite the fact that it's not our conventional deciduous pot, which we'd expect to be just a, a wide, shallow oval. Yeah, a lot of the curves that we get in this oak-like branching is, is manifested in the curves that we get on this, this beautiful Yamaki pot, which has a lot of curves in this kind of floral-shaped roundness of it. It's also very open, and so from any angle, you can see all the way through the branching. And it's funny, of all the trees we've talked about, this is one of a small number of trees that's made us want to get close to it and look at it kind of at its level so we can appreciate the characteristics closer.
We are standing in front of the best evergreen. It's a huge Satsuki Azalea by Mel Goldstein. Uh, and this is a tree that has probably some of the most presence in the show. It's a tree that really does punch you in the face and tell you that it's, it's in front of you. And it's about as tall as I am sitting on the table, so not a small tree. Probably weighs more than me, too. Yeah, it's, it's massive. It's, it's really, really impressive, and it's, it's, it's quite a beast. Yeah, um, so those are a lot of scary words. For those of you who can't see the tree right now, what we're talking about is a tree that's probably, you know, 30-something inches tall, almost four feet wide and the base of the trunk right where it comes out of the ground is probably 14 16 inches across and then a bigger nabari than that yeah it's it's huge um now this is a satsuki that won best evergreen this this room is filled with lots of yamadori lots of impressive conifers and this azalea outshone them all with the eyes of these judges which really says a lot. I would never have expected such a thing. Yeah, but it, seeing the tree and being in front of it, you can definitely feel that it, it, it deserves that. So if we were to list the top five characteristics quickly, what, what might have made the judges think, you know what, this deserves very special recognition? Yeah, this is a tree that has, um, as, as we said, enormous size, but it has enormous taper as well. Um, that 14-inch or, or more, probably 16-inch trunk tapers up to something um, in, in that, that height of, of, of about three feet, the size of my pinky finger. Um, and those branches do the exact same thing. We have these massive branches coming off the trunk, and they taper as well. Yeah, this thing looks like it's been in training for a good, somewhere between 50 and 100 years. Yeah, it's, The branch pads are very well maintained, very full. It's just a nice artistic composition. And good, good separation between the, the pads and, and the branching. Um, yeah, the tree looks like it's been designed as a bonsai, and it just looks like were this at larger scale out in nature somewhere, whatever the species, it would be a commanding tree. Yeah, yeah, it's, it's certainly the best azalea that I've ever seen. It's, it's really, really impressive. It's in probably a, a, a gyozon pot that's, what, a, a meter <laughs> wide or something like that? Just about, yeah. Um, it's, it's a really, really impressive thing. Um, and it's, it's, it's really, really fun to see an azalea of this quality at the show. Yep, yep, it's a fun one. And that's one of the main trees that greets you right when you walk in the door. It's one of the first things you see. It's kind of hard to miss. Yeah, which is really fun as well. It's also the gateway to the shoheen section of the show. A lot of the smaller and medium trees are sectioned off to kind of one side, and the whole rest of the show is devoted to the larger, medium, and large Now, something trees. Jonas and I noticed were the shoheen this year were, were some of the best um, displays that we, we've seen in, from, from previous years. Uh, it was a very, very strong shoheen. Um, showing both in, in the, the displays and the trees themselves. We're seeing more signs of more people who are taking an interest in smaller trees and a lot of these trees are really acquiring a lot of good age and it's really nice to see that. There are just more and more of these things showing up and one of the benefits of Shoheen is that it doesn't take as much time to develop proportional character as it would in a two or three foot tall tree. Right. When you're working in a you know, 20 centimeter tree, you've got a uh, lot less branch development to do. While, while creating a shoheen might be some of the most difficult work we do in bonsai, time-wise, they are very, very fast. Yeah, it's true, they're very challenging, but well done to everyone showing the small trees. They're just fantastic this year. Yeah, there's, there's some great displays around.
We're, we're standing now in front of uh, a, a really, really beautiful Rocky Mountain Juniper by Bjorn Bjorholm. Um, and this is one of his most iconic trees. If, if you're familiar with Bjorn, you're probably familiar with this tree. It's, it's a beautiful Rocky Mountain Juniper. It has this huge wave of deadwood on the left that's framed by this foliage on the right. It might be five feet from tip of gin to tip of gin. It's, the, it's, it's a very dramatic composition and a very dynamic shape. It's, uh, if Zorro had designed the deadwood, I would not be surprised. It's this big kind of lightning strike across the left side of the tree with the foliage kind of right in the middle off to the right of the trunk. Yeah, this is, this is uh, trees that have this kind of wave-like character and this kind of fin. Uh, these junipers are some of the oldest junipers that we have. And, and we're estimating they're about 100 years per inch. So this thing is probably 10 inches wide. This is probably close to a 1,000-year-old tree, um, which is really, really old. And it's, it's fun to see something like this in the show. It's fantastic. And in terms of the foliage, we've... Uh, a lot of us have watched this tree develop over the last number of years, and it's been really fun to see just how quickly these things develop. And what's cool is the single lifeline comes up, actually comes toward the viewer, right up in the very front of the composition before it kind of dives back toward the deadwood before going up and then filling in the crown. Yeah, it has this beautiful twist, which Bjorn is able to frame with the foliage and showcase that while using foliage to hide some of the more sparse parts of the composition. When I see trees like this, it always it's funny, the exact same thing comes to mind every time. When I see a fantastic collected American tree, I think, I want to see this tree in five or ten years. Yeah. I want to see where we're going with the branch development to see how well does the Rocky Mountain juniper foliage perform over five or ten years. Right. Could it, could it be something that um, we eventually don't have to wire very much, like the, the big juniper that we saw from Suthin? Now, Rocky is, is a much more loose tree, so you're probably always going to have to do some wiring. However, um, it will be nice when these, these collected conifers, when we spend a decade or two with them, when we can start to do less and less. And along with that is the ability to generate a foliar mass that is primarily mature foliage on juniper as opposed to juvenile, another challenge with a lot of different rocky types. Right. Beautiful so, tree. It's, it's, uh, it's displayed on a, a nice uh, simple stand and it has an uh, antler uh, with it as an attachment. Um, where, where these trees come from in, in Wyoming, there, there's elk and there's other animals roaming around, and so that's kind of evocative of the area on which it comes. If I were to ask you a design question, Andrew, let's say you found a... Uh, how do you pick the angle to set the deadwood at, and how do you decide how to frame, really, the foliage with the... Uh, with the deadwood, like, does any design things come to mind when you see yeah, a tree yeah, like this? Because it's a striking composition. It's a striking tree. Whenever you're looking at a juniper, we always uh, traditionally want to see where the live vein comes out of the soil. Because these, these trees can be such abstract pieces of deadwood, it's helpful to our eye to see where, where it's alive, at least from the origin, from the roots. And then it's nice when we can see it in other places as well, which, which Bjorn did in, in the, 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 the part that's coming out. Now, as far as inclination and, and how we choose a front on these, that's just wherever all of this craziness in the deadwood um, tend to look the best. And then we, we move the branches to highlight that, that artistic sculpture that nature gave us. One of the most evocative things about this tree is it highlights something we've seen actually for a long time, starting with eclectic trees out of Southern California, which in Japan, the convention is often to have the trees with the largest bases as the trunk enters the soil. And a lot of techniques and tricks have gone into creating that look. 
but this tree looks like it's actually magically and improbably perched on top of the uh, soil mass. There's wonderful moss that just comes up to a nice rise in the center and it almost looks like the tree is just sitting on top of the pot as one of the pieces of deadwood actually extends over the lip of the pot and out to the side and as you follow that line at no point does the line of the tree actually point into the pot. Yeah, it's, it's really, really cool. And that's all counterbalanced by this huge gin uh, on the right side of the tree, on the, the opposite corner, that, that's, that's giving us a strong direction of flow. It makes me want to see more trees just like this. It's a fantastic yeah. composition. Beautiful, beautiful tree. That's all for now, but we look forward to chatting more about the U.S. National Bonsai Exhibition. Awesome. Thanks so much for joining in. Till next time. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. music on today's podcast was brought to you by the fine folks at Blue Dot Sessions. Check them out at www.sessions.blue.